There is no earthly way of knowing Which direction we are going There is no knowing where we're rowing Or which way the river's flowing Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a-blowing? Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! The danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing! Welcome to the Sunday Movie Marathon. How are we all doing? I didn't think that would ever end. How is everyone doing today? All terrible. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Just finished watching ET. One of the recommendations. Nice. Yeah. Different to how I remember it. I remember there being an alien in there. And what do you know? There was. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I was pretty shocked when the alien showed up. Completely took me off guard. Yeah. Did you like the labelling I put on the DVDs I sent both of you? Mine was open. Mine was open already, so when it showed up, if anyone that had looked in there just said gay porn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which I ain't bothered about. Everyone's got their preferences. Were you disappointed when you watched it and it was actually E.T., not actual gay porn? I thought it was going to be um, gay porn, but E.T. cosplay, and I was a bit <laughs> upset that it wasn't. I'll save that yeah. for a future recommendation. I can't tell you how, like, literally, I had the lube next to me, was just ready to go, and then E.T. started playing. Oh. <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't. It was just awkward to do it for a little boy in E.T. I thought it was going to be E.T. the extrasexual terrestrial. That's what it said on the disc, anyway. What a it shame actually... it was. Yeah, that's what Chris wrote on the disc he put uh, He just wrote gay porn on mine. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's making us look like fools to the mailmen. They didn't look inside. The, to the, be fair, I, well, mine was open. It was open? What? It was, what? <laughs> yeah, so he put it in like a cardboard sleeve and it just sellotaped it up. And either the adhesive on the sellotape had worn out and it had just flung open or someone had opened it because it came undone. I literally just had to slide the DVD out and that was it. They were like anything in here worth stealing. They look at the disc, it says gay porn on it. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe that's why he gave it to me. I, I wondered why he gave me a weird look. <laughs> you have fun, man. You have fun with that. I was going to steal it, but then I didn't. It's not <laughs> my thing. So should we jump straight into the recommendations for this week. Indeed. Let's, let's yeah. do it. So starting with me, I picked the film Waves, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. It's a film that's kind of split into two halves. Um, the first half is about a guy called Tyler who finds out he's got a shoulder problem, meaning that he can't wrestle, which is like his passion. And also his girlfriend's pregnant. So everything falls apart. And then the other half of the film is kind of his family trying to piece the pieces back together following all the shit that goes down. So yeah, what did you guys think of Waves? I'll let you start, Max, if you want. 
you can give your two cents. Um, sure. This is my second time watching Waves. Um, I really loved it the first time around, and this time just sort of cemented that for me. I think this is... It's it's definitely a far cry from uh, Schultz's previous movie, which was It Comes at Night, which was sort of more... Like, more sort of a horror type of movie. Like, not quite horror, but like maybe just... It's, it was quite creepy, but this is completely different, and I, I do love it so much, um, especially because, like, because of how different it is. It's not what I'm used to from Trailblazer Schultz. It's like some directors, you think, oh yeah, they make this kind of movie, and then they just make it for the rest of their career, or they make a lot of those kinds of movies, um, like in a row, but. This is Trey with Schultz is definitely a director I think to look out for, especially within his catalogue and how it's growing. Um, mate, honestly, when you recommended this film and I read the synopsis of it, I was like, this is going to be boring. And then I watched it and I was very heavily invested. thought it was really good. Uh, I didn't expect to be drawn into the movie as much as I did. I didn't expect to care about the storyline as much as I did. But I did. I liked the um the especially the the uh beginning of the movie, maybe the first ten to fifteen minutes when it's introducing us to obviously Tyler his girlfriend and then Tyler's family. The camera shots I had to Google whether the film was directed by the same guy who directed It Follows because the camera shots were very similar in terms of like in the car scenes when the camera just does a three sixty it just goes rotations of the characters, like of Tyler and his girlfriend. And then when he like gets back home after resting training, then it's just a one shot, just following him into the kitchen, round up the stairs into his bedroom. I thought it was really good. I think the cinematography for this film was like, especially for the first half, not so much the second. I think the second it just got to more static shots, but especially the opening scene in the first half of the movie. I think the camera shots were really impressive. Yeah, definitely. The first half's like very like tense and quite claustrophobic, and I think the camera work does a good job of portraying that, and especially that opening scene, like you said, where it spins around in the car, like things like that are so incredibly well done. I'm just like I have no clue how that was accomplished. It's just it looks so so interesting the way they did it, but I have no clue. It feels like maybe they had like a rig in the middle of the car or maybe they had like no roof to the car um perhaps they or like they cut a hole in the roof put the camera through it um there's like like I liken that to something like there's a scene in Children of Men where the the camera just goes like there's like a chase scene the camera goes into the car and then through the car and then up over the car and I'm not really sure how they do it yeah I there's think a, um, there was some so sort of rig in, in this one. There, there's there's a guy on YouTube you can watch um, called Peter McKinnon, and he reacts to uh, behind the scenes of movies of how they got certain shots. That shot you're on about is one that he reacted to. And basically the way that that shot was done is, so they're driving along, the car is passed to someone in the back of the seat who then passes it out to someone on the other side of the seat, uh, on the other side of the car, who's literally just laying on a piece of metal as the car's speeding along. Mm. It's really, um, yeah, just creative shots like that, being a bit, a bit more inventive. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the, the camera work and the cinematography. I think, like, w- 
when you're introduced to Tyler and his girlfriend, you see them uh, driving down this highway and the camera's sort of spinning in circles. It's a very like carefree uh, type of feeling that you get that the camera work elicits. And then there's a point towards the middle where you see Tyler's dad driving to a party and this is a very tense scene and the camera does the same thing but it elicits this sort of this claustrophobic feeling of like anxiety as well so i like how they're able to like use the same technique to elicit different emotions yeah i like during like the midpoint of the film before it transitions from one half to the other i it was very tense, but I found myself really like sort of like glued to the screen at like what's going to happen. Yeah, I think the f- first half just generally is quite like that. It's just all very tense and suspenseful. Yeah, the, the dad's acting in that scene, especially the, sort of the fight they have um, just before obviously Tyler leaves and heads to this party. I think the the acting in that scene was. It, I think the acting for all of this movie was very good. I mean, you've got the scene between Tyler, his dad, and his stepmom. Um, when they have the argument, that's really good. Then uh, Tyler and his sister, when uh, he comes home and he's drunk and throwing up in the toilet as well. Uh, I think that was a really good scene uh, between those characters. And then um, the dad scene with the daughter when they're out fishing. I think there's some of like, the three, of, three scenes that like, stood out to me the most. And obviously, Tyler whacking his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Th- that scene, like, both times I watched it, like, during that, that scene, my stomach like just drops. Like it's such so, a holy shit moment, and yeah, I was worried so, that the second time around it wouldn't hit quite as hard and I wouldn't enjoy it as much. But somehow it still did. I still was like, oh god. It, it threw me off so much because after I read the synopsis, I, I started the movie up. That's the intro credits were playing. Um, I sort of googled the synopsis just to know what I was in for. And like as the movie went on, and like, obviously the relationship with his dad. His dad's a very stern, disciplined person. I mean, there's the scene when I think is it Tyler's told about his shoulder injury and he hasn't told anyone, and uh, he's like doing his homework or something. His dad comes in and uh, just starts like telling him off and telling him it's his house, all this stuff. I think you get a, a very good understanding of the relationship that they have in that scene specifically. Yeah, there's like this sort of alpha rivalry going on between the two. I think. I wouldn't say it's alpha rivalry. I would just say it's a typical American suburban household. Where, well, I wouldn't say typical, but it's the dad's successful, that where the parents are successful, and they put too much pressure on their kids. I think it, it's especially, I think when his dad said to Tyler that it wasn't resting that his dad would have chosen for him, um, but Tyler did. And the fact that his dad says, if you're going to do something, don't go half-eyed, you go all in. Um, it definitely conveys a lot of pressure onto Tyler. Um, and so, like, watching that scene and then finding out that his girlfriend's pregnant and that she's going to keep the kids and then his shoulder injury and that he can't continue resting and then he loses a fight because of his shoulder injury. Originally, I thought he was going to commit suicide and it would be the family dealing with with him, his death. So when that scene happens, that he's arguing with his girlfriend and he just whacks her around the face, she just cracks her head on the floor. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. 
but you see the build up, don't you, with his character? It's not like out of nowhere. Um, you see all this pressure that's being put on him by his mainly his father, where he's he's doing all this stuff. He's got to try and keep up with uh, his schoolwork, his uh, like wrestling work. He's also like he plays the piano in one scene, which I love, but it just also communicates that he's just he also has so much going on. Do you know he's what got, he's that, like learned piano as well? Yeah, that, that's exactly like, what I thought when he was playing in that scene. I was like, so he's pretty high up in his in terms of resting abilities. He's that's he he's got to be a very good piano player as well. A few, few years under his belt to be able to play it, the music that he was playing, and then he's got homework, school, his girlfriend, and um, finding out that oh sorry, and wrestling. And then to find out that she was uh, she was pregnant and that she's going to keep the kid, you can definitely understand there was, it's just a boiling point. And I think throughout the movie, like you both said, it, it just, you can see the gradual build up of one thing after another until eventually it pops. Yeah. I think the, um, the sound design and visual style really complements like, that boiling point thing in the first half and how anxious everything feels and how you can really feel everything like starting to bubble up and even like um the score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross it's very like sparse and subtle because the the soundtrack mostly is just licensed music um but that score I think adds this incredible tension to a lot of the scenes um especially that wrestling scene where he like loses because of his shoulder and basically at the end of it has to completely give up that scene is just incredibly atmospheric and tenseful because it's just um like piano sounds like slowly ringing out and these atmospheric atmospheric like pad noises but i think it works really well it's a horrible scene as well to like as soon as like he's diagnosed with this um shoulder thing that he's got the doctor basically tells him do not do any more exercise. If you wrestle again, then you'll do yourself irreversible damage. And then after that, every time he like picks up some weights or he does some push-ups or he does wrestling, it's like horrible to watch, especially because when he he's in the wrestling match, and this is the thing that sort of does him in, you can hear like the bones click together yeah. and just like scrape against each other. It's yeah, it's really horrible to hear and see it all happening. Especially as an athlete like he is, dedicated to one chosen sport, like you can just imagine, like the devastation that he would have had being told that news. And like when he's like, "Oh, can we just do the season, and then I'll have the surgery, and then spend all season recovering?" And it's like, "Nah, it's not going to be that simple." Like this is why, like I, I would feel terrible and very, very devastated getting an injury. And the fact that I just go to the gym, like there's nothing really serious about me doing it, let alone doing a professional sport and then hearing it. Like it's literally his one chosen career path is pretty much gone. And I think he's in that like sort of existential crisis moment where he doesn't really know what to do with his life. And I think the reason he like obviously doesn't tell his parents about it until obviously he has the, the resting match and loses. It's because of all the pressure, like we said, it just built up, and probably the the fact that he doesn't want to disappoint his dad, or maybe he's he's scared of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked the the, 
who uh, the actor who played the dad as well. I thought he played the role really, really well. Yeah, he's fantastic. In the beginning of the film, yeah, in the beginning of the film, he's just very stern. You could almost say like he's unemotional. There's very little times that he he ever does anything. Like like his his wife says during after when Tyler's incarcerated, she's like, "You just show up and play the nice guy." It definitely just felt like that during the opening part of the or well, the beginning half of the film until he really has a chat with his daughter when they're fishing and sort of opens up. And I think that's the first time they've really spoken since um, obviously Tyler had killed his girlfriend and got sentenced to prison. Yeah, it's like um, kind of like how a lot of guys just bottle up how they feel and their emotions and act like they're okay, which what I think that character's kind of doing. He's like keeping all his emotions in because he has to be, he's like the man of the family. He has to be the, the strong man who's keeping it all together, but deep down inside it's killing him and he's broken just like everyone else. And that scene does an incredible job of showing that he isn't just like this monotone, emotionless guy. He's actually holding a lot in. And I love when he just lets it all out. That whole scene's incredible. Yeah, yeah I really like yeah. that scene. Probably one of my it's, favorite scenes of the movie. He's like projecting his own sort of insecurities onto Tyler as well, so that can't help with all the pressure that he's feeling, especially because like Tyler has built his whole life around this, or just like what his father wants from him, trying to live up to all these expectations. His like scholarship to a decent uni college um, is like dashed as soon as he like does his shoulder in. So like it's not just like a sport that he can't do anymore. It's like the whole, his whole life that he was building up to. And you see, like, I wouldn't say that his dad was sort of emotionless during this first half, but I would say that he was quite angry a lot of the time. He was very disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, like, Tyler's feelings, I guess. Or just... Because Tyler doesn't really want him to see that he's suffering as well. It's just this this expectations that he's got put on him. He's got to live up to them. And I think that's something that a lot of people can probably relate to as well. What did you guys think of the um, the abortion scene when they were in the abortion clinic? It's a good scene. Great. Especially with that woman shouting the N-word and him like getting super angry and wanting to go beat her up. Do you know what I thought when I watched that movie? Now, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, is it a white woman that says it? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine reading the script and they're like, yeah, you've got to say the N-word to a, yeah. a black a black character. You're like, uh. <laughs> I'd be like, no, give me something else to say. I'll say anything else but that. It's acting, though. Isn't it? Yeah, she was a middle-aged white woman. I'm sure she loved to say it. I bet her name is Karen. <laughs> She's out there trying to complain to the manager. Yeah. I thought a scene that I, a, a line that I really liked the most, or like a, a scene that I liked the most, is when they're in the abortion clinic and um, the security guard comes in and he's like just chatting to all the patients that are there. And he's like, "I'm here for you, but you've got to be here for me. Don't go out there. Don't don't talk. Don't interact with the crazy ladies out there." And they're like, "Okay, that's fine." And then he walks out, and Todd is just absolutely nuts. Yeah, and again. You could say that adds to the build-up of obviously straight after that when they're in the car, he has a full-blown argument with his girlfriend, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. I love that. It was. I will say though, like, like I, I don't want to say Tyler's Tyler was a bad person because I think there was so much put on his shoulders. 
that it's understandable that he explodes in the ways that he does. Obviously not when he his girlfriend accidentally kills her. Um, but just to react in the way that he did to find out that his girlfriend, one, didn't go through with the abortion, and then two, finding out that she wanted to keep it. Yeah. yeah. I think for him, for him, it was kind of like he can't do what he loves now, and now he's going to have to have a kid. Like, his whole life is going to change completely, and he has no control on it, and I think he just kind of snapped because of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of the movie definitely definitely showed it that way. Um, it's just one thing that I uh, could understand, obviously, re- reacting in that way. But um, definitely, if you want to try and convince someone to do something, probably don't call them a bitch. <laughs> yeah, probably not. There's also like a really great line that his dad says to him is he like, sits him down in his room. Tyler doesn't really like, want to look at him, but he says... We are not afforded the luxury of being average. We've got to work 10 times as hard just to get yeah. anywhere. I'm like, I love that line so much. I also like, like the line after that where he says something along the lines of, I wish I had what you have now in terms of like when it, the dad was growing up. Yeah. I mean, because they're definitely a, a privileged family. I mean, the, the mum and dad own a business together. They've got a really nice house. They've all got cars really nice cars they go to a good university they've got like enough for uh, piano lessons uh resting coaches all of that stuff um so yeah it's like you see the work that his father has put in he's like asking him to look around his room and just take it all in because that's what he's provided him obviously it takes tyler's sort of expected to live up to all this and maybe work even as harder than his dad and his dad's kind of like the villain in the first half I will Mm -hmm. say Um, but there's a point at the end uh, towards the end where his dad's uh, talking to his sister Emily and he says she says that she hates Tyler for what he did and that he's evil and his dad her dad says um, no your brother's not evil he was just a human being like and it's like yeah these it's it's. It also speaks to his character as well, the dad. It's like he's not a bad person, really. He's just like he's trying to sort of reflect on himself and what he's done. Just putting all this pressure on his son, he sort of realizes it as he's losing his wife as well. I, it, I'm just going to jump ahead to the end of the movie just because of what we're talking about. But I, I love the fact the movie didn't end on knowing everyone is happy, like a a. Bit, a it ended on a positive ending, but it wasn't necessarily the happiest one. Just the fact that, obviously, his dad walks into the, his son's room, into Tyler's room, and his wife's sitting there after them not speaking for weeks. And he just sits down, they hold hands, and then it's the scene of um, Emily on the bike riding, and she just sort of like sits back. And uh, I think that's uh, the part of the film when they, they really start to deal all grieve together or they start to move on. Yeah. And then, um, shows obviously the shot of, um, his girlfriend's parents at the, uh, grave site of their, their daughter. Yeah. I love that you get like their perspective as well. It doesn't like shy away from that because their daughter's dead now. They're just like, they've shown them reacting in the courtroom as well as Tyler's getting sentenced. And you see 
uh, Tyler's uh, stepmother just sobbing and she's like crying the loudest and they just like have to listen to her cry while their daughter's dead it's like horrible yeah yeah and uh, one thing i think that w- was good well not good but just showed really how much the other family had lost with the death of their daughter is in the courtroom and at the uh, grave site it is literally just the two parents there's no other family members there's no she hasn't got any siblings i think she was just an only kid yeah yeah Obviously, it would hit them harder than anyone else. Well, well, this is the thing, this is the thing that I, w- I was thinking of during the movie, and especially in this, what Max just said in the court scene, when um, obviously Tyler's sentenced to life in prison, pro after thirty years, so he's going to be even if he's what eighteen, he's not going to get out until he's fifty years old. His parents are probably going to be near near on their deathbeds. He's going to miss a lot out in life. And like Max said, it's his stepmom that like obviously shows the most emotion, like physically. She obviously is not in the greatest pain, but she shows the most pain. And is I was sitting there thinking throughout the movie, throughout that scene, it's like how how do you how are you supposed to react in that moment? Because obviously two families have been absolutely devastated. You can say one more than the other, but I was just sitting there thinking like. Would it be okay to show any form of emotion if your son had been sentenced to prison for accidentally killing someone? It, yeah, it's it's definitely sad on both parties, and it's probably even more so for the family that had has lost a kid. But yeah, it's it was a, a weird one that I was just just thinking about. Yeah, it's all like a consequence of like just these mistakes that Tyler's making. He's not a bad guy. He's just there's a lot of pressure on him. I think there's a lot of a lot about like forgiving the people who have uh, done you wrong. There's a lot of like people who just hate each other in this movie, or like they think they hate each other, and they've got to sort of come to terms with the fact that they're not they're not evil. They're just people. Well, it's again the scene where um, Emily and her dad are out fishing, and he says to her about not holding on to so much hate because he's seen what it does to people, and um, like literally in the the very next scene or so, when and this is a, a part of the film that we haven't spoke about yet, is when Emily is boyfriend and then him going through his own sort of journey on t- telling Emily that his father was an alcoholic, dr- uh, a drug addicted drunk who used to beat him and his mum, and it's literally like the scene after her dad tells her that uh, he finds out that his dad's dying in the hospital and she sort of says like you should go see him and I think that was really good that sort of the advice that her dad has given her she passed on to someone else and I even think the scenes between I can't remember what her boyfriend's name was is ever said Luke Luke um like just the, the the scenes with with him and his dad just that portion of the movie as well was really really well like really good very very emotional yeah definitely I love their relationship as well, Emily and Luke. I think that section's done really well. Like the writing and also their performances, it just perfectly encapsulates that like very awkward but got happy feeling of meeting someone and you know awkwardly starting to grow feelings for them and do all these things for the first time and it being confusing but being nice. I think it perfectly encapsulates that feeling in those scenes 
Yeah. It was a it's very, a, very, because it's in between two very emotional parts. Tyler going to prison and his family having to deal with that. And then Luke dealing with his, his dad's death. But there's in between these very two emotional parts, there's just a, a spot of just where she's just happy after being completely ignored by every one of her friends, which I thought her friends are absolute cunts. I'm just going to say it. Her friends are fucking dickheads. <laughs> they were, absolutely. But I, I, I do love the contrast, though, between these two halves of the movie, because it is like a two-part movie in a way, where it switches perspective from Tyler and now to Emily to deal with the aftermath of what Tyler's done. I, I do like that it just it takes its time with all that, and then at the end, well, at the end, when it gets to Emily's part, it's a lot more calmer. She's um, forming these new relationships. She's got a new boyfriend, and she's trying to like forget about. Maybe she's trying to forget about Tyler and what he did. Um, and in the end, she sort of realizes that she probably shouldn't hold so much against him, or think no. that he's like awful. But I do like. It's I I don't want to say like a cool down period. But it's like, that's basically what it is from all this like chaotic energy that Tyler's half has just created. Now it's all just sort of disappeared and it's just sort of left with this solemn, just sad feeling. But it's also quite uplifting. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, we transition from the, the scenes just before Emily takes over as, as the lead. We transition from obviously his dad driving down and there's some really intense music playing in the background if his dad's driving down obviously the highway after tyler tyler in this house just walking around absolutely off his face um and it goes from that to then the scenes with emily where it's it is just very calm quiet there's long stretches of her not speaking of no one speaking um you don't really see her interact. I don't even think you see her, other than the scene with her dad fishing. I don't think you see her interact with her parents outside the courtroom scene and that fishing scene. So it definitely, the, the way that that's done as well, where it's the second half is predominantly Emily's perspective, and then it occasionally shifts to um, her dad and the stepmom. Um, it just shows the disconnect between the family and how little everyone is communicating, and how much that's exacerbating things. Yeah, definitely. Um, something we've not brought up that I love about the film is um, the different use of aspect ratios throughout. Because mm-hmm. the film starts off obviously in 16.9, like full screen, and then slowly over the first half, it like throughout the scenes, it gets slightly tighter and tighter until it's in 4.3, like the Basically, it's to make the camera and visuals look much more claustrophobic and enclosed on the characters. And then in the second half of things get a bit more positive. It does the complete opposite and it slowly gets less tight until it eventually finishes back in full screen. And I love the way they do that so much. I'm not going to lie. I I didn't even recognize or realize that it went to 4-3. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, well, this is the thing. Subconsciously, maybe I may have noticed, which added to the fact that I found that part of the film. I'm guessing, are you talking about the part where 
uh, they had just had an argument and it's Tyler's dad like, tracking him down, him at the party. It, it cuts to 4-3 in between when he punches her and when it like it cuts to black when he hits her and she like falls on the ground and then it's four by three like before that it's it's still tighter like it's still not a full screen but it's not a square aspect ratio yet and it like I didn't switches even realize, in the two in all fairness but i think i was just so engrossed in the film at that point that i really didn't um didn't know us yeah i definitely didn't notice when it like gradually got tighter but i think that's something that you're not supposed to notice consciously it's sort of it because you do feel this build-up of anxiety and chaos and i think that's also a big cause of that even if you don't recognize it consciously but it's definitely going on subconsciously yeah i love the scene like when they play i am a god by kanye west that's like i, I do like that song but in this in this scene and in this movie, it works so well, especially to like show how Tyler is feeling because he's like he's high and he's drunk and he's just trying to get his girlfriend back. I guess he's seen her with some other guy on Instagram, and it really speaks to his mindset and how he's feeling. Maybe he feels quite invincible as he's trying to steal. He steals the car and he goes to the party. It just it's like this huge thumping song. It's brilliant. We we also get signs from stuff that his girlfriend says um, that maybe he's not <laughs> the best person ever, especially when they're having the argument and she's like, he has no idea about any of her friends. Like she says about obviously yeah. the guy that he Tyler thinks she's slept with is, is gay and her best friend. And she's like, yeah, you didn't take a, didn't take a chance to get to know like any of my friends. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just maybe that and the way that he reacted in both scenes about obviously the pregnancy. I just think that shows maybe he's not entirely the best person. Well, he's so yeah. self-obsessed, you know. But it's sort of something that's kind of been pushed in by his father as well to sort of be someone who's all about him like he's the only person he can count on um so maybe yeah. he, has, he he hasn't taken time to get to know her friends and no. that was i sort of noticed that more this time around than i did the set, uh, the first time but that's it definitely speaks to just how he has lived his life and how his father has pushed him yeah well his stepmom says to um his dad doesn't he like you did this you pushed him and she just screams it like three times at him that was great, yeah. I love that argument scene as well. He's yeah. like, you're, you're not here, like, mentally, you're not, like, consciously here. Like, I've got to be the guy, the man around the house and do everything. He doesn't realise that he's sort of pushed her away, and then she says that she can't even look at him because he reminds her too much of Tyler. It's, like, a horrible scene. You can see, and there's great acting from both of the actors as well, especially, like, you can see she leaves him afterwards. Um, in in the room, and then he's just sort of knelt on his knees on the bed, and just sort of you can see everything that he's feeling from his face. Yeah, going back to um, you bringing up um that I am a god sequence, which I agree is an incredible sequence. I just love the use of music in the film generally. Um, basically, it's got a 
soundtrack that's heavy, heavily filled with loads of different licensed music. He was in, um, Schultz was inspired by Dazed and Confused and Boogie Nights because they're like films where music is basically like a extra character in the film and the emotional arcs and stuff are complemented by the music that he picks. So he wanted to do that with this. He listened to Frank Ocean's Endless and Blonde as well as Kanye West's Jesus and Life of Pablo on loop and took heavy influence from them and picked loads of songs from them. Um, but there's loads of incredible scenes that are made better by the songs they pick, like that I'm a God scene. Um, the song Be Above It by Tame Impala plays three times in the film. It plays in the mm-hmm. opening sequence. Um, two different versions of it plays. It plays the original version of the song and a live version. And also when he's walking through that party to find his girlfriend, a remix of it plays like very briefly. You can barely hear it, but it plays a little bit. Um, well, he's saying it as well. He's like saying that, like repeating the lyrics, like some sort of mantra. Yeah. There's a, like there's a great, like I hesitate to call it a scene, but it sort of is. He goes to the party and he goes into the bathroom, washes his hands and he's just like whispering, gotta be above it, gotta be above it. And then he just like pauses and looks at his hands. Like, yeah, it's a great, great little piece. It's great. Um, yeah, I also love when Tyler and his friends are rapping um, Kendrick Lamar's back um, street freestyle on the beach. I really yeah. love that scene. And also... With the big bonfire as well. Yeah. Also, the final scene in the film where it plays True Love Waits by Radiohead. Um, that's just... It's already a song that I find very emotional. It's like a very heartbreaking song, and the way he uses it in the film is just so beautiful, and it gets me every time. That's another use of a Radiohead song from uh, movies that we watched. We watched one uh, last week called Filth, and they used a Radiohead song in there, but it it was not as well utilised. Definitely not. But yeah, the music all throughout was incredible. This has probably one of my favourite soundtracks used of all licensed music in any film. Yeah. I I may not like listen to the music that they're playing in this movie. Some of it, but not all of it. But I do agree and think this is probably like the best use of music in a in like soundtrack um licensed music that I've seen in a movie. It just works so well. Um has anyone else got anything to say about the film? <laughs> No, no, I think we've spoken about everything. I've made all the points that I'm, mm-hmm. I picked up on. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. Let's go on to the ratings. What are we going to say, Al? <sighs> well, I originally thought of one, but then I thought maybe that's not the best one to choose. So we'll go with uh, jail sentences. <laughs> nice. Poor guy. Um, yeah, this is an incredible movie. I was really worried that I'd watch it a second time around and wouldn't enjoy it quite as much. Like, I was worried that I wouldn't find the first half quite as, like, suspenseful and tense and wouldn't find the second half quite as, like, emotional. But it hit me harder than it did the first time. I cried like a baby at the end. And, yeah, I love this film. I think it's pretty much perfect. I'm going to give it 10 jail sentences out of 10. <laughs> Oh, very nice. good, very good. Yeah. What about you, Mecca? I, I think this movie is pretty much perfect. I love it. 
um, definitely going to check out uh, whatever Trey Schultz does next. Um, this is his best movie that I've seen by far. Um, I think it's it's quite a simple story, but it's told with very complex emotions um, and, you know, great cinematography, great soundtrack, brilliant acting. Um, yeah, I, I also cried a hell of a lot, especially during, like, the the last scenes of the movie, or, like, more in Emily's part, I guess. I'm going to give it 10 jail sentences out of 10. Beautiful movie. Oh yeah. Um, well, you already know my opinion of it. We've just spoken about the movie for, pardon me, for about 40 minutes. Very good movie. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I say this about a lot of movies. I didn't expect to enjoy them as much as I did. Um, but I'm always pleasantly surprised when a movie just takes me off guard as much as this one did, especially the fact that I thought it was going in two different directions and then it just completely hit me with a left hook, did not notice it. So I'm also going to give this movie a 10 out of 10 jail sentences. Nice. Spicy. The first perfect score. Yeah. First perfect score in the recommendations. Uh, Nope. You forgot no. about the Conato trilogy. I said in the recommendations. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. All right. That brings Perfect us on movie. to Max's film then. I got a movie that I recommended last week. It's called Blade Runner from the year 1982, directed by Ridley Scott. This is a set in a dystopian future of 2019 of course that was the future in 1982 uh, in Los Angeles uh, where bioengineered synthetic humans known as replicants are sent off world to work on space colonies and one group of rogue replicants escape to come back to earth and it is up to ex-cop slash blade runner Rick Deckard played by Harrison Ford to come back to the force and hunt them down what did we think of this movie? I will say this is definitely a movie that if you're going to watch, you're going to need to watch it a few times. I did not have a fucking clue what was going on. I understood what it was about. I, I got that. But I didn't understand how characters got to these certain conclusions. I really don't. Like, there's a scene in the movie where one of the guys just, who's like one of the criminals, just walks up to Harrison Ford's character and like gets into a fight with him and then just dies. Like the movie was good, don't get me wrong. It definitely needs a second watch and I probably will watch it at some point during like later this year. Um but like uh, it, it's definitely you need to be on it to watch this film. I was a little bit distracted from maybe the first quarter of the movie, which probably didn't help. But just like watching the film I was like how did we get here? <laughs> Who did you talk to? Yeah, it is a film where there's like quite a lot going on, so it's understandable if you don't take it all in first time around. I think the first time I watched it, I was about 10, so I had no clue what was going on. I, I remember really not liking it the first time around because I was like, this is boring. It's just really slow. But the second time around, I watched it a few years later and enjoyed it a lot. And now it's in like my top 
20 favourite films of all time. I, I love this movie. It's so incredible. I will say, yeah. like, that is definitely something I felt watching it, that it was... It, it was quite a boring movie at times. There were scenes where I was just like, can we get to the next one, please? Or can we speed it up a little bit? Um, again, not saying it's a bad movie. It can be boring and be good. Um, and yeah, like you, maybe I will need a, a second second time watching it. But one thing I want to point out quickly is why the fuck was every film that was set during the, the 78, 70s, 80s and 90s when it depicts the future... What does every fucking future look the same where it's just like unrecognizable? And I don't mean like in the sense that it's so far in the future, it's just not recognizable compared to where they are now. So that when we were in Harrison Ford's house, I was like, where the fuck are you? Where's your bedroom? Where's the living room? It's just like every one of these movies that depicts the future. And it, you can definitely tell this is a really Scott movie because some of the set designs, especially um the interior structure of like, some of the houses and buildings very reminiscent of some, some of the scenes in aliens um it's just it always always baffles me that they always look the same and it's always dirty this is so crowded it just um i don't know whenever i watch a movie that depicts the future and the future is depicted the exact same i'm just like why why is it always they've got flying cars but yet everything looks like shit well, it's kind of just like it's inspired by real life LA and it tries, they want to create something that feels like it's a real city that's lived in and real. And a lot of it's like set more in like the slums of LA more than like the glamorous side. So I feel like that's probably why it looks so dirty and gritty. It's because it's like more in the, the poorer side. But also, but you take them, um, sorry, carry on. I think they say at one point that a lot of people. Like a lot of the great scientists and stuff have gone left the planet and stuff. It's mostly just people who are unwell or old that are left or criminals and stuff like that. So I don't think that helps either. Yeah, but like you've probably still got houses that were built when the scientists were around. Why is it little shit now? This is the same thing when I watched Total Recall that took me out of the movie. Is that that was set in the future as well? I'm on about the one with Colin Firth in it, not the one that was. Uh, made with is it Arnold Schwarzenegger in the original yeah you mean yeah. Colin Farrell that's the one yeah um is that like it's just I don't know it's happened in Ready Player One as well just, everything is just so like there's like 20 houses stacked on one another I mean looking outside my window now even when you go to like these like high trafficked areas at least there's some distinct features that you can tell you can tell a house is a house you can tell a shop's a shop Literally, in this movie, when they're walking through the streets, it just shows a, a scene of the street. I couldn't tell what it was meant to be. To me, every backdrop looked the exact same because everything was just so similar. Um, I probably felt the same way you do, Connor, um, when I first watched it. I watched this movie um, after I'd seen the sequel. So <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. I didn't really understand what was going on in the sequel. Now I'm going to watch this movie, see if I understand a bit more. Maybe a bit more, but I didn't really uh, take to it my first time. Now, though, I love it. And I, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't really agree with you. I think this is a very 
it's a vastly different movie than the sci-fi that I'm used to, especially from that time. I think the the sets are amazing. I think that LA looks just like yeah, I know it does look like horrible, but it's like it's supposed to look horrible. And everything's very cramped in, like people are just like piled together. There's just this whole overpopulation that's that's saturated throughout it and there's always like these different like signs and like uh advertisements or like these blimps that just shout at people just saying like how new opportunities wait off world just wait until you get off world everyone's just sort of piled into this one place it's it's sort of it's fairly realistic i think in a sense of like this is where we could end up if we like don't do anything about our current predicaments you know there's like the sun never shines it's always dark global warming has clearly had an impact um just it i just i really love it all yeah that's one thing that i, I never understood why the, the sun was never there but i think the only time the sun has never shined for years was during like the first mass extinction and that's because there was so much dust in the air um but did uh did anyone notice there was a scene where um, people are walking through the streets of LA with umbrellas and um, they've got like the, the umbrella stickers lit up. Yeah. And I, I was watching that. it like, they look like lightsabers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it literally just like people walk around the street with lightsabers. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Was I, great. Lo- I love that. I love the films, the way it depicts like the future. Cause like you watch a lot of films that are set in the future and there's like, loads of weird inventive technology and stuff and everything looks like so like weird like completely different to anything we have in our real world like now and Chris, that's like exactly aliens what happens and... in this movie no but i mean things are much more primitive like it feels much more like things have developed but is still quite similar to how it is now and like you don't have like aliens and weird f- creatures and stuff like you get in a lot of future set films it kind of just feels much more much r- realer in a way it doesn't feel like something that's just been made up like a lot of sci-fi films can do yeah i mean i'm pretty sure that anyone who watched this movie would really have wanted to be off world by the year of 2019, just so we wouldn't have to fucking deal with the coronavirus next year. So at least they missed out yeah. on that. I um, I lo- love the building and sculpture design as well, like, because they put, mm-hmm. like, instead of having, like, tubes and wiring and stuff on, like, the inside where you can't see it, it's all, like, on the outside and full view, and it, like, adds this weird character to all the sculptures and buildings and stuff. It's like a way to communicate that LA, at least, is sort of on its last legs and they're just trying to keep it afloat, or at least until they can get everyone off-world, or like, yeah, if if they could get everyone off-world, but if maybe they're not going to get everyone off-world, you sort of get this sense that maybe a lot of the people are kind of doomed. Yeah, yeah, I think they will be. I think, like you said, all the important people got off-planet ASAP, and what's just left is, like, the dirt. It's just, like, very... It's dark and it's like it's filled with trash everywhere, and just like all these people that are compacted together, you get like when you walk into these sets, it's like very this very hollow feeling to them. 
I love like how the sound design accentuates kind of the hollow scapes of a lot of these sets, particularly when um I think there's one where he goes into where J.F. Sebastian lives. It's like this hotel type place, and um, also with um, Tyrell's uh, house as well. Yeah, yeah, Tyrell's the guy that just had like the the gold rooms. Essentially, didn't he? Everything in it was just gold. Yeah, he's this massive sort of tech genius guy who's um, engineered, bioengineered these replicants to send them off worlds to like slave colonies to do work. Um, I just, I love, I love that concept as well. Just there's this this whole thing about like the replicants, um, this rogue faction who have escaped their uh, duties on like another world. And they've come back to Earth because they want more life. There's like a four-year lifespan for these replicants and they just want more of it. And it's this sort of, this message in it where it's like the Tyrell motto is like um, more human than human. And at times it kind of blurs the lines between what one considers to be human. Like if it can think like a human, if it can breathe like a human, if it looks like a human, why, why is it not human? You know, and, and I think that there's these villains in the movie, but I don't think, well, they're antagonists, but I don't think they're villains in a way, like, Deckard's supposed to be hunting them down. But they're not, like, bad people, they're just, like, they're just different, you know? They're robots. And, like, how, what should he care about killing a robot, you know? I liked the, um, the line that, that, is it Tyrell, the one that creates them? Mm-hmm. I like um, the line when the guy goes to, so the guy goes up to his room with Sebastian and uh, he's just talking about obviously wanting to live longer. And he's, uh, Tyrell just says to him that a candle that burns twice as bright lasts half as long and you've burned so brightly. So that was a very good line in, yeah. in that scene. Really good. That was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And then he just uh, kills him afterwards. It's his eyes. <laughs> that was a horrible out. scene. Yeah grips his whole face and just presses his thumbs into his eyes. It's horrible to watch. You see, like, the blood coming out. Yeah. <laughs> because they're, like, bioengineered to be, like, stronger than humans as well, like, twice the agility, just so they, they're able to do these slave labour jobs. Yes, yeah, it was kind of a daft, daft idea to make these androids twice as strong as humans. So if they ever did rebel, you're pretty much fucked. <laughs> and that's why they've got, like, a four-year lifespan as well. That's the thing mm. that they're talking about. They've sort of they've engineered these uh, memories for the replicants, so that they're apparently it makes them more easier to control if they know that they're uh, like maybe if they have the illusion that they're be. human, yeah, or like they had this previous life that they didn't really have. Yeah, I love that. I also liked the line where um, Harrison Ford's character is talking to. You know that girl? Uh, Rachel? I, I can't remember. I think that's the one. Is that the one that comes around his house and shows her, shows him a picture of her and her mum? And he yeah. tells her that all of this stuff's just, yeah. And um, so they do a test, don't they? Harrison Ford does a, a test on people to tell whether they're replicants or humans. The Void Kampf test, yeah. Yeah, and she just says to him, like, have you ever done one on yourself? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Could you be a replicant? <laughs> Could he? That's like a whole thing about this movie is like the debate whether Rick Deckard is a replicant or not. 
Mm. Yeah. I love um the opening scene, which is like a test scene between two guys. Like the lighting of it's like very blue and icy and it's basically just two guys talking but the dialogue's great both their performances are really good and there's something like very tense about it like because i feel like it's quite obvious that something's gonna go down even like if you don't know the whole thing about replicants and stuff like that it's like very obvious something's gonna go down so you're just constantly like on the edge of your seat waiting for something to kick off and i think that makes it super tense and suspenseful. I will say, um, this film, do you say it was released in the 80s, Max? Yeah, 82. This film used the blue filter perfectly in the 80s, where films nowadays can't. Um, and so I harp on it a lot, but the part that I really didn't like about piano was the random blue filters that they put in the, the shots. Either for whatever reason they did it, it just it really threw me off. There's the the part in this film where obviously you get uh what's his name Decker, Deckard, yeah, Deckard, and um so they're watching the tape of the interview that Chris was just talking about, and obviously it's projected from behind them, so it's actually lit up, and then there's just a blue filter over the both of them. Yeah, that was very well, great. That was, Great uses of color, a lot of great uses of like lighting and um, yeah, the sets that can complement it. Because there's obviously you get no like natural lighting because like the sun's not there, but you get it in all these like different lights from billboards and advertisements or like um uh, cars and all that. There's like when you go into Tyrell's house, um, it's like there's a vast hall, but there's like a screen that has the sun on it that sort of emits the light to mimic the sun. I really love that. And like when he wanted to, he could just darken it. Visually, just generally, the film looks incredible. Like every single shot, all the special effects, like model design, sculptures, the cinematography, and just like the general look of the film looks incredible. And I I think a lot of it looks like it hasn't aged a day. Like a lot of it looks like it could have been done like shot yesterday there's like a couple bits where some of like the compositing of the vehicles looks a little off but it's not really that noticeable for the most part this film just it holds up incredibly well visually yeah this is the first time i saw it on the blu-ray as well in hd so it just looked it the colors popped even more and it looked so good (laughs) yeah yeah because you watch films even some films today where you just watch them i think like, take fucking Power Rangers that came out, which is also sci-fi that came out a couple of years ago. Comparing that nowadays to, I think, Blade Runner, I don't think the, the CGI in that Power Rangers film has aged well, and that came out a couple of years ago. So it's just a testament to, like, how well um, they did back in the 80s with this film. But yeah, even, well with a- even with even with Power Rangers. Like, yeah, well... That was just one that I thought of just because it was horrible uh, to watch. <laughs> but even even with um, Ridley Scott's other films, like Aliens, that, that holds up well nowadays as well. Yeah, I mean, Aliens is a very well-shot film. That also looks like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you think of Alien Covenant and then a- the original Alien movie. The Alien from the original Alien movie 
looks more realistic than the CGI shit that was in Covenant. Yeah. You've just given up. I think that's just a problem with CGI and how it ages. Although, to be fair, Covenant looked bad when it came out. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't great. It, it didn't age well from the day it was released. Yeah. I will say there's a moment that I don't really like in this movie. It's like the only gripe I have with it, sort of. It's like... Is it when the movie starts? No, it's when um, Rachel's at Deckard's apartment and, like, he's sort of forcing himself on her to try and, like, make out with her. That was sort of cringy, I guess. But apparently, like, those actors in real life hated each other. And it does oh, show... Oh, really? Yeah. But at the same time, like, the characters, I do believe their relationship at least enough to believe that they find, like, they they love each other, I guess. Or, like, yeah. they're, they're attracted to each other. It's, it's just not great that, that when... one moment is kind of iffy. Yeah. It's not great when uh, a couple on screen actually hate each other in real life. The acting generally is really great. Um, everyone in it is good. I love um, Sean Young in it. Her performance like, is very subtle and it's almost like artificial. Like, her performance is like a very lifeless lack of emotion there, but I think it suits her character really well. Um, and also Rutger Hauer as the villain Roy Batty. He's an incredible villain. He's super menacing and creepy. Rest in peace, man. Yeah. I like I I I I got confused. I don't I, I this one I have to watch it another time. Because I got confused at the the end where Roy and Deckard are like fighting each other and Deckard's just about to die, but Roy saves him and then like just dies. Yeah. It's a great moment. I think it's because he, really he reached the end of his scene. lifespan. Yeah, throughout this yeah, whole what? movie, he's sort of trying to stop this four-year cycle from killing him, and he's like, just what his hands cramping up, so he's got to like, he, like pushes a nail through his hand to sort of feel something and try to stay alive. And then there's like this split second at the end where he just sort of snaps and thinks, so "I don't, I don't have to be like the." the animal or the monster that they think I am, so he saves Deckard in this one moment. You sort of realise that he was never a villain, but he was just, you know, he's just like, he's just been built and he wants more life. Of course, he, of course you'd see where he's coming from. Who wouldn't want more life if they only had four years to live, you know? I don't know, man. I don't think we have four years to live in the current climate that we're in at the moment. <laughs> Probably not. That whole um that whole scene where um Roy like saves him and then does that incredible monologue that's like one of my favourite scenes in any film. Um Yeah. Just the monologue is fantastic, the music, the performance, the visuals, all of it is great. And I love when he like his hands just open up and like that dove flies out of it. It's just incredible. It's one of the most iconic scenes in cinematic history that is the tears in rain scene yeah everyone knows about it yeah yeah it was, yeah, it was good it's very really good i'm definitely gonna have to watch this movie again though i would recommend it this think... is the issue with watching films that like require a second viewing 
because I can't imagine watching a film like Inception and being able to give an honest review of it after just watching it once, which is like what I feel at the moment. Like this definitely requires more than just one watch to fully get the film. Yeah. And I'm trying to give a review of it after only watching it the once. So what I say may be wrong, but it's because I fully don't understand this film at the moment. It's a lot to take in, honestly. There's yeah. a lot of Yeah, there's so much. To it's it. a very like I said, you have to be on it all, all the time throughout this movie. And even then you might not pick up everything that's going for. I definitely yeah. didn't yeah. in my first go round. Probably why I didn't really like it that much. Uh, at first, but that's sort of true of movies in general. You just sort of you gather an appreciation of the things that you maybe missed the first time round. That's why I like movies like this that you can watch again and again and get something new out of. Yeah, the um the score from Vangelis is one of my favourite scores in any film as well. Um, I actually, my dad's a huge fan of both Vangelis and Blade Runner, so he used to play me the score all the time as a kid before I was allowed to watch the film. So I have like a strong memory of it already, but it's like just very moody and atmospheric, and I love like all the uses of like vibrant anthemic synths, and then there's some moments where there's like just subtle bell chimes, like during bits where like Deckard's investigating. I think all the instrumentation and everything is so well done and it fits everything so perfectly. Yeah, I'll agree. It's definitely one of my favourite uh, movie scores. I just... It, it does create a, a, a palpable atmosphere and you understand what characters are feeling in certain moments and you understand the world that they're living in. It just accentuates a lot of the scenes and like the visuals as well. Yeah. Obviously, Connor's only seen the film once, so I won't ask him for his interpretation of this scene. But there's a bit that I do not understand at all, and I was wondering if you had any interpretation, Max, of the unicorn scene. Yeah, um, I actually wrote that down as well. What does the unicorn scene mean? I yeah. I, I don't know, honestly. Um, I think that I've read up on this, and like Ridley Scott's sort of hinted or he's outright said that maybe it ties in with the fact that Deckard might be a replicant because he's sort of had this moment to himself, he's in his apartment and he sees this unicorn and then at the end when he's running away with Rachel he sees an origami unicorn outside of his door and I think that was supposed to um sort of say that this this guy um what's his name gaff that he sort of knows Deckard's memories perhaps yeah so he he knows maybe that he's a replicant i don't i don't know if like i want to say that Deckard's a replicant or not i'm not entirely sure because at the at the time these replicants only have a four year lifespan like what what are they saying that Deckard's like a new type of replicant but I'm I'm not entirely sure when the law of the universe they do after that those replicants they do create new ones that don't have a limited lifespan don't they yeah yeah so maybe he's part of that but honestly yeah. I couldn't couldn't tell you do we like like how the the replicants like the villains this sort of group how they died I've got to say like I didn't 
no, I do. I do love basically every death scene. There's like one. I forget her name. What was it? Zora, I think. When Deckard sort of infiltrating this uh, nightclub, he sort of try. He talks to Zora, and then she's like running away. There's a great uh, part where she's running away from him, and he has to like shoot her. She's like running through these glass plate windows, and it looks amazing with all this like artificial snow that's going up everywhere, all these colours, and it's sort of slowed down as well. I really love yeah. it. Or then like Rachel kills Leon at the end. There's like like he's <laughs> Leon's like beating up Deckard, and like I do, I do like that scene to be honest, but um it's not it's probably like the probably the worst one of the replicant deaths. If we want to rank yeah. them, I guess. Um, but she like just shoots him in the head. And his head kind of, it doesn't explode like a human head does. It sort of like, just sort of expands outwards as the whole, like the bullet goes through his head. And like, it looks sort of like clay in a way. It's a lot of cool violence in the film, to be fair. Yeah, there is. I love Pris's death as well. She's like, just fucking with Deckard, just doing like these acrobatics and stuff. And then she gets shot. She's like writhing around on the floor. It's like a horror movie or something. She has to like keep shooting her. But I love that. And I especially love Roy Batty's reaction to it. It's just like you see that he's not this robot. He's got like emotions. He actually cares about Pris or he cares about um, his replicant friends. Like he can make these connections. So I think that also adds to like uh, Roy's character. Yeah. Max, did you get um, triggered by the name Roy at any point during this movie? Because I can just imagine that as soon as the name was mentioned, you just stared blankly at the screen for about five minutes and then just screamed. We got a lot of Roy's on this podcast, eh? Yeah, there yeah. was someone Roy... in Close Encounters called yeah. Roy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did we, if we reviewed Godsend on this, or was that before? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Please go back and watch that. Godsend. If you haven't listened to the episode, go and do it. But watch the film first. <laughs> no, don't watch the oh, film yeah. first. <laughs> Stay clear of it. Robert De Niro, what were you thinking? I like how Roy keeps like howling like a wolf as he's like sort of taunting Deckard. Yeah. It's like like kind of embodying the animal that maybe other people think that he is, or like like what do you do to a dog that bites you? You know, you just you put it down and he's sort of a dog that's been being put down with this cap on his life. I love it. I think it's amazing. There um there are five different cuts of the film. I don't know oh, why, yeah. but there's five different cuts. We watched the the final cut, um, which is the most recent one from two thousand seven. Um but there was an original work print version which was shown to test audiences, um, which got a lot of terrible reception. A US theatrical version an international version, which was the exact same as the US version, but they added blood and violence, which the US version took out. Um, there was a 1992 director's cut, um, which was made because the work print version basically leaked and started getting like unofficial screenings. And then in 2007, obviously, Ridley Scott basically just took all the footage and everything and created a new cut, which takes away... A voiceover, which was in the theatrical version, which is really shit and really cringy. Um, there was a happy ending that they added that they took out. 
and obviously they add the violent scenes back in and also the unicorn sequence because that wasn't in the film previously. Yeah. I gotta say, I've not seen any of these other cuts, but I do... I like the cut that we've got now, the final cut. I think it's... It does it does the film justice for sure. I don't I don't want to see like Harrison Ford narrating over it in like some sarcastic voice. I really don't want to. See, <laughs> yeah, it just that. sounds bored because he didn't want to do it, so he like puts in no effort at all. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> I like how like when Deckard like meets Rachel at Tyrell's, she's like Tyrell's replicant. She's his. Um, and then she, he like refers to her as like her and she, and then as soon as she, he learns that she, she's a replicant after this really long void camp test, he starts to refer to her as it. I'm like, wow, you just change on a dime then. Like, there is absolutely no like thought to whether these these replicants are like could be people or not. You know, I've I've gone through all my notes. I don't know how much you have. Right. Yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One last yeah. thing I'll bring up is that the film actually opened the the same month as ET film we're about to <laughs> talk about, and the same day as the thing. Oh, no way! So it was a big commercial failure because two huge sci-fi movies came out the same month. What a shame. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into ratings then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are the robots called? Replicants. Replicants. All right. We'll do it out of that. Yeah. Okay. So this film is a classic. I feel like this is just a film that everyone should watch if you're into films, regardless whether you like sci-fi or not. I would also highly recommend the sequel, 2049, which is Max's favourite film of all time. It is. And it is also an incredible movie. It's on Amazon Prime, so it's easily accessible. I'm going to give this film 10 replicants out of 10. Like I said, it's in my top 20 favourite films of all time. It's an incredible film. Lovely. Yeah, I love this movie, definitely. One of my favourite movies of all time. I did have to sort of grow into it, I think, because the first time I watched it, I was not that big of a fan. Um, I think I liked it the first time I watched it, but not... Like, it didn't blow me away like it does now. I just love the 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 messaging of it. The the visuals are amazing. Just the, the idea of, like, more human than human and, like, these... How, like, robotic does someone have to be before they're considered a real human being? Um... I think the performances are great. I think the direction is fantastic. Um, and again, yeah, I would recommend the sequel. But though these movies are quite different to each other. You know, they're, they're not... Like, this is more of an action sci-fi, whereas 2049 is more of a mystery. But still both um, key uh, pillars of... Uh, at least science fiction movies and just film in general, you should see these movies. Um, I'm going to give this 10 replicants out of 10. Ooh, another 10 out of 10. Um, well, the acting was good. Uh, but like I said, I'm definitely going to have to watch it again. And I don't know 
what rating I can give this without it being dishonest. Because although the acting was good, I didn't follow a lot of the film just because you have to sit there and watch it more than once. So I, I don't know. I can't give it a high rating because I think I'll just be lying about that. I can't give it a low rating because I don't think I've seen it enough times to really give an honest rating about it. So I'm going to give it a six uh, only because I'm definitely going to need to watch this again um, to really understand everything that goes on. I liked the, the plot of the film as much as I could follow. I liked the acting, um, but that's really all I fully understood. <laughs> hey, that's all right with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, would, maybe yeah. in the future we'll just do a revisited episode <laughs> of all the movies you've got to watch more than once. That we could do, yeah. Brilliant. So that brings us on to the last movie, which was my recommendation, which was E.T. Um, I'm not going to lie, I haven't watched E.T. in about 20 years, so I just chose it, uh, and it was completely different from what I remember, so maybe it was good. Um, E.T. is about an alien that lands on Earth, gets left behind, uh, makes friends with uh, a kid and his family, and then his whole mission is trying to get home, so he ends up uh, phoning home and uh, it gets picked up at the end. Spoilers. That's it. <laughs> there, say again. Spoilers. Uh, Max puts a spoiler warning in the description, so if they've ignored that, it's their fucking fault. He doesn't. He doesn't do the descriptions, I do. Oh, well, you do it then. Okay. Don't ignore the descriptions, people. So, uh, what do we, uh, what do we think of this movie? Yeah, I'm like yeah. you, Connor. I haven't watched this movie in a long time. Um, maybe I don't even know if I've ever seen the whole thing, honestly. Um, if I did, then I saw it when I was very, very young. Did not remember a thing about it. Apart from there was a little goblin guy who wants to go home. This was good. It was a good movie. Um, i got to say, it sort of sagged in the middle a bit. I, I didn't really care for like the, the structuring of it. Like It's not really anything I've never seen before, but I do think it's it's an incredibly wholesome movie, and it's definitely a, a must see, um, at least in terms of like Steven Spielberg and movies as a whole. It's very well made, and I do, yeah, I really like it. After watching this movie, I genuinely don't know what's so iconic about it. To be completely honest, I think like the the visuals are great, and like the um, especially like. Like the prosthetic work, um, especially with like ET as a character, I think it's very, it's like a, a pillar in cinema. It's like a cinematic staple. Like the design of him, and like also like a few of the shots as well. I think are very like, yeah, that's like a classic moment. Yeah, especially with like the bike flying over the shot of the moon. That's like one of yeah. the most famous film shots in history now. You can tell why. It looks brilliant. Also, the, like, the score's very like, famous. A lot of people remember the, like, the themes and stuff from the film. Mm-hmm. I watched it about an hour and a half ago, and I can't. 
be honest. There no, were, I do. There I, see- I, say again, Max. I do. I do remember the the score, or at least like the maybe not like the the individual notes, but like the the vibe it gave me, and like how it set the atmosphere very well. It's what I love about like John Williams. He knows how to do that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. There were parts in this film that I found funny that I probably shouldn't have found funny. There's a it's the scene where E.T.'s left at home for the first time and uh, the kid's at school and uh, E.T.'s just walking around the kitchen and then he's got like the towel around him or whatever it is and he's just walking around in the kitchen then just falls over and face plants the floor and bursts out laughing when that happens. Yeah, that's, that's, a funny that's moment. supposed to be funny. The whole scene oh, well, meant to be funny. It's quite a yeah. comedic bit. Especially when he like he starts drinking beer and then obviously that passes on to Elliot who also gets drunk and he like starts like awkwardly like saying hello to people and frees all the frogs. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're like connected. Like in yeah. um I don't know if you guys have seen the Twilight movies, but it's a little <laughs> bit like that. Except <laughs> I love the part where like ET's Elliot's ran E.T. a bath and then E.T.'s sort of like testing out the bath water he like almost drowns himself but then it turns out that he can breathe underwater which is like oh my god he's drowning this is so funny Can we just talk about how overpowered E.T. is he can breathe on land and underwater he's got telekinetic abilities mm-hmm. the guy's just yeah he's a bit OP isn't he quite, quite literally yeah <laughs> Could just like kill anyone at any moment, but maybe it's like um, Superman. Like on his normal planet, he's fine, but because our planet is so different, he's got all these powers. Well, I think even on his own planet, if you can move things with your mind, still a bit OP. Yeah, he also looked like the grandma from Coco. <laughs> to be fair, ET kind of looks like my own grandma. <laughs> She's just shrunk throughout the years and she's lost her hair. Yeah. So whenever I see her, I'm just like, uh, if you grew your neck a little bit, you'd be a spitting image of E.T. But E.T. is adorable, so... Yeah, I do love the design of E.T. I think it's really creative and unique. Like, I can't think of any alien creatures in a film before or even really after that kind of looks like him at all. I'm, I'm also glad they didn't do, like, just the grey oval, like, pool alien like they did with in Close Encounters at the end. I'm glad that there's actual creativity in his design. Well, this is the thing with most uh, movies that involve extraterrestrials or aliens, is that their designs are very, very similar. I've watched, in the last month, I've watched three different alien movies that the design of the aliens, albeit slightly different, are very similar. They're always either bold like they, they've got a humanoid void humanoid form they've got black eyes they're always bold it's always grey skin like watched a film called uh, what's it called? Abduction and it's literally the same aliens from Close Encounters but taller and with longer limbs a good so, design uh, is always going to stand out though isn't it well exactly that's why um, the alien from Aliens is so iconic because it's just such a unique design and interpretation of a of an alien. 
It's also terrifying. Yeah, I watched a behind the scenes of that, and it's like they were going to give it eyes at one point, and Ridley Scott was like, no, it's more scary if you don't know where it's looking. So what do we all think about the acting in this film? Because it's predominantly child acting. I thought it was like really good from the kids, honestly. Um, very believable, and I thought they all Yeah, did. I'd agree. I didn't job. expect it to hold up quite as well as it was, so I didn't really remember their performances, and I thought they were all pretty decent. Like, even Drew Barrymore, who plays Gertie, I think it is, the little girl. Like, she was only seven when she did the film, but she's still really good in her. Oh, yeah. She is good, yeah. I think it's just, like, a very believable relationship they all have with each other and also with E.T. I want to know what, what she does for a job to be able to afford a house like that, being a single parent. I know, like, her and her husband have just split up, and I think the kid was a bit of an arsehole when he brought that up. Made her cry. Imagine that, making your mum cry. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that before. <laughs> um, I think the child dialogue is also like quite realistic in a lot of ways. It reminds me a lot of like, some of the conversations I had when I was that age. Um, of course, in real life, there'll probably be more like oh, F-bombs yeah. and edgy slurs. But for the most part, I think it's pretty dead on. Well, he did call his brother a penis breath, didn't he? So, yeah. I love that part. Like, it was nothing like that penis breath, and then his mum's just like trying to stifle her laughter. Yeah, I was gonna say she laughs during it. It's like, well, yeah. you laughed at your son getting rinsed. It's also like they're just like Uranus. Get it? Your anus? I'm like, that's such a childish thing to say. It's like we were definitely saying that back when we were kids. Yeah, when you learn that that's what Uranus sounds like, yeah. There's also like a part at the at the like near the end where Elliot's with his mates and they're trying to um escape from the the, the government guys and they're trying to get ET back to his um spaceship and then one uh, he's like we got to get ET back to his the his home and then one of his friends says can't he just beam up and then it says this is reality Greg. <laughs> That's like the <laughs> best line in the whole thing. <laughs> so there's there's a part in the film where E.T. says, be good, right? Mm-hmm. The old Iron Giant where... line. No, I'm thinking of Shrek 2 with the big cookie gingerbread man, and he's like in the water, and he goes, be good. Is that a reference to E.T.? Probably. It's got to be. It's got to be. That's the first thing I thought when I when I saw it. I also I also didn't understand why E.T. died and then came back to life. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, I thought like I had missed something. I like looked at my phone for like a second and then suddenly E.T. was like washed up in this river. I'm yeah. Like, how did that happen? They caught like, COVID. <laughs> like E.T.'s like, yeah, I'm gonna call home. Um, so I'm gonna wander away from where they're gonna pick me up. And he just falls into a lake and then just starts yeah. dying. I think it's because, um, obviously, where they were outside all night, Elliot gets ill. Obviously, where they're connected, E.T. gets ill because of that. But E.T.'s body's obviously different and it just basically kills him. Or at least stops one of his hearts, but then the other but one what? brings him back to life because he has two hearts. I didn't even know he had two. Yeah, they yeah. bring it up briefly in that when there's loads of like they're running loads of tests and stuff on him. 
But then what? I he wonder- just like leaves ET in the dirt. Just goes home. <laughs> All right. Some friend he is. What are you on about? Elliot goes home, doesn't he? Oh, he can't find him though, can he? Where despite he the fact that his, despite the fact that his brother maybe found him in about two minutes. Yeah, he was like right there. Yeah. But they were together, weren't they? At, at yeah. AT's like base thing that they set up. So how do they yeah. get separated? Because uh, he gets put in that little cryo thing, doesn't he? Put into the um, van. No, this is beforehand. What, what are you on about? When like they, they go to like the field. Yeah. And then E.T. has this like monitor thing set up. And then like yeah. I didn't I didn't get how like Elliot just like went home and then E.T. ended up in the, the, the river. Yeah. Uh, I made a joke about it, he just wandered off and fell in a ditch and died. <laughs> Literally. So like he's calling home, he wanders away from where they're gonna pick him up just to fall in the lake and die. That's yeah. a waste of one heart, isn't it? Yeah. That pissed me off. That um that scene where they're like all in the house and like the people in the astronaut suits like start appearing in the house and like quarantining it. That used to terrify me as a kid. Like when she opened the door that. and there was just like an astronaut standing there. Do you know what yeah. though? This is this I watched again the alien film that I watched um, earlier this month called Alien Abduction did the same thing that this film did and I really didn't understand it. So there's people in both movies, there's people in hazmat suits in a quarantined area with it sectioned off because they don't know what's going to be there if there's any like deadly pathogens to our species and stuff. But then they instantly take their hazmat gear off in the same area or they're in their hazmat gear and there's people wandering around not in hazmat gear. Like, yeah. And then like during the scene of E.T., the guy just like, when E.T. starts dying, he rips the curtain down that is quarantining them just to get in there. And it's like, what? And then one of them like pushes it aside and then takes off his hazmat gear straight away. It's like, well, it would still be contagious. He's just ripped the fucking curtain down. I don't think about it. Nah, man. Came out in the 80s, so that was probably the norm back then. Yeah, that was annoying to me, though. Things. That's so, like, Chris? I said, yeah, people doing stupid things. That was the norm in the 80s. Mm. Then, like, that's like a problem I have with like Spielberg movies is like he goes for like this schmaltzy kind of like ending or like third act where like nothing, like, E.T. dies. He dies in this movie. What brings him back to life? Love. The power of love. The power of love. Elliot just loves him so much. Doesn't matter that he's dead. Yeah, that's no, the way that, life just, works. That'll bring him back. That that just brings him back to life. Great. So that annoyed me. <laughs> and then it's like at the end when E.T. goes off to his spaceship, um, it like blasts off, and as it leaves, it leaves a rainbow. And I'm like, <laughs> oh fuck you, yeah, yeah. I hate I like, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I wa- anytime I watch the film and see that end sequence, like where he's like saying I'll be right here and he goes in the spaceship and it like turns into a rainbow. It reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons with the film festival where Mr. Burns makes his own film and he literally just recreates that scene from <laughs> E. T. and plays <laughs> E. T. himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. 
It's like a whole Spielberg thing. I don't like. He did it with like War of the Worlds as well. Yeah. Just like everything has to be like really nice and wholesome and happy, and everything has to work. I don't out know if correctly. you've seen The Mist. That's not Spielberg. What? Oh, never mind then. Like Frank Darabont. Have you seen The Mist? I have. Yeah. Maybe when I was like. Who's The Mist by? Frank Darabont. He directed that, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, but it's based off a Steven Spielberg book, isn't it? Stephen King. No, Stephen King. Ah, oh, fuck it, Stephen King, isn't it? So yeah, that's the same Steven guy who did Spielberg it. Right? As a director. Yeah. Nice. Why does Why does Elliot touch ET at the beginning? He's like, he doesn't know what kind of like space diseases ET has got on him. He's like, oh, you just give me some skittles. I'm gonna g- grab these skittles and just throw them on the ground. Just lead you up to my I'm, room. I'm, Come into my room. I'm, I was like, I'm Jesus Christ, lie. man. I would probably do the same. Like, if you've seen an alien and it's being friendly, you probably don't give a shit. No. Like, you just touch it. It also looks really wrinkly. I imagine its skin would be really weird, so you'd want to touch it and see what it's like. I imagine it's still, like, dried dried beef or something, or, like, (laughs) leathery. Yeah, like an old steak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something like that, where it's just really hard and tough. Like an old grandma. Yeah, Loose I think in this all was the, the right first film appearance that my nan made. I think I don't. I think that the tension with this movie lies in like ET not being found and like all these near misses, and I, it's not something that I've never seen before. I just sort of I don't really gel with the structure at all. Like I said, I got kind of bored towards like the middle, and it's just because I've seen this sort of play by play before, and while I enjoy the sort of the cinematic kind of elements that is it's brought to this I like just E.T. as a character I think he's great and iconic but the the structure of it kind of leaves more to be desired I'm, I'm not gonna lie I don't think there was any tension throughout this whole movie like even in the scenes where mm-hmm. like the beginning where E.T.'s running away from the people that are chasing him it's just funny because he makes such weird noises and all you can, all I can picture is this fat little thing running with his little tiny legs as fast as he can, making weird noises away from people. And that then, was like, like a thing that we were like making fun of beforehand, because I hadn't like seen ET for like I didn't know what noises ET made, but other than like ET phone home, and then like beforehand, I was just in the chat going like. Blah, 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 blah. Oh my god, it's E.T. And then, like, that happened in the movie. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. She's, and like, the scene where she's looking in the wardrobe, that's another thing that I didn't understand. So it's when um, everyone's, like, all the kids have found out about E.T. And it's the mum and the daughter at home. And the daughter's looking upstairs. And the mum, like, so, oh, we've got to leave, we've got to leave. She pushes the kid out. And then, like, for some strange reason... She just walks upstairs and goes to Elliot's closet and looks in it. She hears a noise. Does she? Yeah. There's like oh, some sort of then. knocking about upstairs. Oh, I, I didn't hear the noise. Fair enough then. I that find that bit funny when she opens the closet and he's just hidden in all the toys. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> like some sort of shot that's been parodied to death now. Yeah. I also find the scene where um, Gertie tries to introduce her mum to E.T. Really funny, because like, E.T.'s just like standing there, she's trying to get her mum's attention, 
and yeah. um, her mum accidentally knocks him over with the fridge door and Gertie <laughs> just goes, I think you killed him already. <laughs> Every time I laugh at that. There's like a part that where like, I think Elliot or someone says um, only kids can see him, adults can't see him and that's sort of emulated in that scene where the mum's just sort of occupied doing her groceries and all that. She's can't she's not really looking at him. And then Gertie's like, You gotta meet my friend. I've met this this you gotta meet him, this alien mum. And she's just like, no, you don't care. She's just she's too pre- too preoccupied doing whatever she's doing. It's when um E.T. used to be on the TV and it made me laugh when he just randomly so so it's the um the girl's looking at T V and his head just pops up and he goes, B <laughs> you said B. B. It's just uh, like fucking hell. <laughs> Mom, he can speak. Well, of course he can speak. He can say B movie. Um, the the version we watched of this film is um the special edition version, which is quite controversial because it adds loads of clips of like C- CGI ET because Spielberg thought he looked a bit too stiff. Um, there's also two new scenes. And because the film came out like a few months after 9-11, like the special edition, Spielberg removed the usage of the word terrorist and replaced it with hippie. And he also took out um, the FBI agent's guns and replaced them with walkie-talkies. What? (laughs) And watching it, knowing that, and seeing like all these FBI agents running around with walkie-talkies in their hands is just so funny. (laughs) Um, yeah, he now regrets doing that edition, and you basically can't get the special edition anymore unless you buy the old DVD that I have. Um, <laughs> ever since, it's just been the original version. Cause Spielberg's like that was a terrible decision. Yeah, I noticed the CGI ET when like he opens up the bushes and ET's there and screens. You could like yeah. just look at it. I was like, oh, that looks a bit weird. That doesn't look like ET. Honestly, that was like one of the only moments that I recognised how yeah, CG heavy it was. The rest of the time, it just sort of looked very practical. So I didn't really, that didn't really grind on me. Was it someone just in a suit, or was it a puppet? So it was a like mixture a of. I think when when it was like on a close up, it was a puppet. Um, but if it was just like him walking around, they would switch between two short actors. Um, and also, like a twelve-year-old who was born without legs, so he like walks weirdly. Wow, right. does work for everyone. Yeah, man. Like when they cover ET up in the um, in the Halloween scene in the uh, white robe, or sorry, the sheet, and the mum takes the photo, and ET just falls backwards. <laughs> and they have to pick him back up, and then just like seeing him walk around, he just fucking bobs everywhere. It's so <laughs> weird. I like um, when they're some. out. And about like, on Halloween, and he sees Yoda, and he starts like following him because um yeah he goes home yeah because yeah. George Lucas made it canon that ET species exist in the Star Wars universe because like you see a bunch of little ETs in the Phantom Menace in- yeah oh yeah so does that mean <laughs> ET is canon with Star Wars I guess but there's also it's weird because there's that character who's dressed as Yoda and there's also um, Elliot's got loads of Star Wars toys. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Probably happens a lot later than Star Wars is set because obviously Star Wars is set yeah. 
a long time ago. Maybe this is set in a universe where Star Wars is based on a true story. Yeah, I was about to say, in a galaxy long, long ago. Yeah. I love like the part where E.T. is going up the, the ramp of the spaceship as, as he goes home. I'm like, he's like really slow as well, so he's just sort of waddling. And I just struggle like, up what there. If, what if it took him just ages to get up the spaceship and it added like an extra 20 minutes onto the movie as we just watched him walk onto the spaceship. It's just one long one long take just him but yeah, waddling I his mean, way up. Yeah, he's waddling and he's really slow and then like it cuts and he's like halfway up a bit and because like he can't get all the way up there obviously with the pace that he's keeping and then the dog just like runs up there and just like I guess it's supposed to be like he nudges him up there but it's like he's not even in the shot. So it just looks I like wanna, a dog running up the ramp. I want to know how E.T. species walk up and down that ramp when it's raining or wet. Because there's no way he has grip on that thing. Like, all I can picture is just a bunch of E.T.'s like falling down there. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he falls down a lot in the movie, so you'd think that probably that would be kind of an issue. Yeah. You'd think for pe- people that are, like, telekinetic, that they just, like, float each other up there. Like, E.T. can make himself fly. Fly up the ramp. Maybe they do have a challenge. <laughs> yeah, but someone uh, uh, saying that then, if they do fly themselves up the ramp when it's raining, so one of his species would have had to have tried getting up there when it was wet, just twatted himself <laughs> on the ramp. Like the the <laughs> tiny shot in Close Encounters where you see one of the kids fall over on the ramp. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, apparently, oh. but when the film came out, it was it became the highest grossing film of all time because it was in cinemas for like a year, which is the longest theatrical run in film history. Still, it like stayed the highest grossing film until Jurassic Park came out, which obviously mm-hmm. also Steven Spielberg film. Apparently, if you adjust it for inflation, still today this would be the fourth highest grossing film of all time. Apparently, if you adjust for inflation, Titanic is the highest grossing movie of all time still. Yeah. But alas, it isn't. Alas, it's now Avengers Endgame. Yeah. This was also nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture. It won, I think it won four for Best Sound Effects, Sound Effects Editing and Original Score. So imagine the critics watching the movie like, we just saw E.T. fall over like five times. That's hilarious. Give it a high mark. Yeah. Forgot I think a lot of people else? think this is very a very sweet movie, though. Very yeah. um, wholesome and nice. And I, I do, but I also don't like a lot of what Spielberg tries to do. Just this schmaltzy attitude towards filmmaking. I don't like it. This is also what I'll call background a background movie. So you can, there's not really like, you can zone in and out of this and you still not know what's going on. There's not, not really much to it. It is just a story about an alien trying to get home and making friends with a family and he's a little bit clumsy. Yeah, I felt like it probably could have been maybe 15 minutes shorter. Could have cut out yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Have we got anything else Anyone to else add? have anything to add? I, 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 I don't, don't have anything um, more to say. Ratings. Simple ETs. Nice. Um, 
I I loved this film. I think it's really sweet, awesome, great effects. It's funny. The score's incredible. It's one of my favourite Spielberg movies, I'd say. But that may just be because I have such an emotional attachment to it because I watched it, like, religiously as a kid. Um, so I'm going to give this 8 ETs out of 10. Yeah, um, I do not have an emotional attachment to this movie. Um, I understand where it's, like, trying to be very wholesome and family-friendly and, like, people just adore it so much. But maybe that's something that you need to, like, grow up with it to get that sort of connection with it. I didn't really feel that kind of connection with it, but I do love a lot of what it's going for. I love the character design of E.T. I love E.T. as a character. The kids were great. Uh, the score is fantastic. But it's just, it's, it's let down a little bit uh, in the middle with a kind of a basic plot and a story structure. I'm going to give it seven E.T.s out of ten. I'm also going to give it seven ETs out of ten. Acting was good. The movie was funny. Just seeing ET get knocked over all the time and just nearly die um, was was hilarious. Uh, like Max said, though, at some points the film was slow. It could have been shorter. At points the film was kind of boring. Um, I probably won't watch this again ever. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I really only wanted to watch it because I was curious about what I remembered as a kid. Um, but I would recommend watching it at least once just for the references. Yeah. Yeah. And now so, we Chris, what did you give this, by the way? An eight. Right. That's not, that's not your highest rated movies. Two tens and an eight. Yeah, you gave two tens and a nine last time. Not last time, the time before that. Did I? I'm pretty sure you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you both went ten on two movies, and I went, oh, I made a comment about it. And then you went nine. I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of you could have had three tens or something like that. Because I referenced that we've never rated a movie with three movies ten out of ten. Then someone said we did with the Cornetto trilogy. I have no idea. I don't know. Either way, it's a pretty high rating. This was a good week for you, Chris. Yeah. It was indeed. That brings us to recommendations for next week. Indeed. Go on then, Chris. What have you got for us? What's the stored Um... for episode 17 of the Shit Talk podcast? I'm just going through my list now. I forgot none to put of it on the wheel, so I'm just right. pick something. What did you say, Max? I said none of the information you just said was even remotely right. Well, I was waiting for someone to pick it up, because Chris blazed over it and started talking. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go for a film I have not seen. I have heard incredibly mixed things about it. It's, it's like one that I think people either love or hate, so it could go either way. I like the director, though. And the film is free on YouTube, um, which is why I've picked it. Picking the film Funny Games from 1997, Ooh. directed by Mikael Haneke. Been meaning to see this for a while. Yeah, same. I used to be mixed with him. Nice. He's like 90 years old. Age is just yeah. a number, my friend. Yeah. I don't think he speaks English either, so... 
Yeah, we had to communicate through sign language exclusively. Nice. Yeah, this is an Austrian film, so it's all in German. Is it subtitled? Yeah. Oh, this should be fun. Thank God, because I can't speak German. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to recommend a film where it's not subtitled and there's no dub, so you just have to listen to it in German. Yeah. My recommendation is a 2008 musical. Uh, I've seen this a couple of times before. Uh, it's like a cult movie, I think. It says on Google that it's two and a half hours long, but it's not. It's an hour and a half long. So it is... I'm not going to say anything about it, honestly. I just kind of want you guys to watch it and uh, see what we all think of it. It is called Repo, the Genetic Opera, directed by Darren Lynn Boozman. Nice. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. And my recommendation for the next movie is... The Trial of the Chicago 7. I don't know what it's about. But I saw it on a, like, um, best movies to watch on Netflix list. It was number four. Oh, wow. A interesting I've, for that list, but okay. Well, this is it. I've mm. never seen it. Um, it's a bit of a contrast to what everyone else has chosen. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. I think Chris and I have seen this movie before. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah. yeah. We oh. both had fairly different opinions on it. Okay, okay. That's good, that's good. When was the last time you watched them? Well, it came like, out last year, didn't it? Yeah, so like a month or two ago. Oh, really? I didn't realise it came out last year. Yeah. yeah, it came out like October, November. Oh, okay. Well, to be fair, what was it, Chris did... Uh, an episode where he didn't watch two of the movies. So, because he'd watched them like 10 years ago. No, I'd watched them a I'll, couple months previously. I'll watch it again, though. Sure. Anyway, that has been episode 16. Thank you all very much for listening and stay tuned. More episodes abound. Mm hmm. See, See you in the next one.